Welcome back. This is the TKW podcast. That is the Nixwell podcast for first-time listeners. Mike Cortez here, joined by Kyle Maggio, Sean Geddes. Guys, it's over. A fourth seed. The New York Knicks, 41 wins. Let's go. I can't believe I, it. I, I, I want to start with you, Kyle, since as the resident TKW OG, it's been a long path. There's been peaks and valleys, most a lot of fucking valleys. So I just want to kick it off to you, man, because we've been through a lot. We saw a lot to get to this point. So where are you at right now? Yeah, so we 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 started this pod back with Anthony Corbo. Uh, we had a small small team. We started back in 2016, 17. For that was our first season with the pod. Uh, anyway, the first season that we did the Knicks wall was uh, the 20. 14, 15 season before we had KP. So our first like real official, you know, build up was writing about, you know, that tank, that very first tank, you know, Langston Galloway coming up and playing well. And, you know, we, we know the whole story for that season, but, you know, we, we turned it from a dinky little blog into something that was a, a real publication, a real credentialed media. Uh, and, and uh, we did that while they were bad. So, you know, we're, we're obviously proud of it here, but like, it's just fun now is like the way to describe it. There was a lot of pods and, um, you know, everybody was down on us for being negative, but it's like the team was bad for so long. You know what I mean? And it's like, it gave us so many, you know, just off topics and things that maybe we, we didn't always want to discuss, you know, why, why is this guy not playing well again? Why is this new draft pick not playing well or playing up to standards again? Did they miss on this guy again? Could they have signed this guy? Why didn't they meet with this guy? All these little things that we always had to hear about and deal with. And uh, it's just nice that after all this time and, and really, I mean, not a lot of fun in terms of like winning and watching the team win and, and uh, the on-court product. It's a lot of fun now, man. This, is, this entire season has been worth it, really and, and honestly, because, you know, it, it was unexpected. Had there been like a buildup, you know, RJ was good year one and, you know, you could start to see the pieces. It would have been equally good but like it would have felt a little bit different this year was more euphoric in the sense that we all came in like all right here we go again let's uh let's see what happens i guess like we, we don't really know who we are we have no identity we have no and it just feels like the weight has been lifted in a sense and it doesn't mean we've accomplished anything because all we have done is make the playoffs we haven't won a single game we haven't played a single game but it, it's just a lot of fun now um basically is the way i could describe it and it was always fun because it was our favorite team. It was the Knicks, but now it's fun in the sense of like, wow, like, yeah, like we're not just, you know, trying to get up and have fun every single day. Like it's easy to have fun. Every time I log in, there's a, a great stat to read, a great article to read, a great video, something praising the Knicks uh, for, for something new every day. It's not even like the same stuff you hear about somebody chasing a season long accolade. Or, it's just, there's always like a new random Julius Randle's the first guy since Melo to do, do, uh, do this. RJ Barrett did this. Now he's shooting 47% since this day. It's like, I don't even remember the last time I've seen like true bad news. You know what I mean? And it's like, 
Even the Alfred thing. The Alfred thing sucks, and they still won 41 games. In a 72-game season to lock up home court, like, in spite of him and the weird opener situation that they use him in, it's like, if that was the worst of it, like, all things considered, we made out pretty good this season, you know what I mean? So, you know, again, I don't want to just be happy to be here, guy, but, like, in, in terms of, like, this whole operation that we've been trying to do with the Knicks, well, it, it's just nice to finally be able to cover a, a winning, a competent, and uh, a team we could be proud of, really, in, in almost every sense of the word uh, this season. So, just happy to be a part of it, happy we got, you know, couple fresh faces uh, for, for this run uh, on this pod now with, with Sean and Mike and Dom coming along. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Just, just fun. That's, that's what it always comes back to for me now. It's just like, everything's just so, so fun with this season. So I, I'm having a blast. Yeah. Th- this season, I mean, this is like a, a literal storybook season. And, you know, we were talking about it in the post game prosperity and I was like, yeah, sure. Like job not finished. Of course. We haven't done anything like we're moving next focus is the playoffs like we of course we're all there but at the same time like you do have to just stop and appreciate the fact that we have somewhere to be when the season is over like you know normally the last game of the regular season it's like all right you got these couple 10-day contract guys who are finishing this out and you're gonna watch them you know try to ruin some you rooting to ruin somebody else's playoff chances tonight maybe or like you know we're not gonna be the team that lets you in that's so we were losers so, you know, we're like, we're not losers. And that's just really cool. And it's like really nice to just be able to appreciate that. 41 wins in a 72-game season is amazing. Uh, we were like number one in most defensive categories. We were a top three in three-point shooting. Like we closed the season, like we went 15-3 and three to end the year. Like, it's, I don't know. Julius Randle put together an all-NBA campaign, MVP-level season, like, he clinched it today at uh, average 24, 10, and 6, which is only done by, like, him and three others. And it was Oscar Robertson, Larry Bird, Russell Westbrook, and I think the other person was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or something. Like, come on, bro. Like, it's, it was just an unreal season. RJ shot 40% from three for the entire season, re- regardless of the slump. We didn't have to specify it by certain things anymore. No, 40% from three. Um, And like you said, Alfred, that thing was frustrating, but we won 41 games despite that. So it's just – and this is, like, year – this is – you know, um, when there was some bad headline that came up and they were like, oh, it's been this many days since Leon Rose took over as president. And like, you know, this is year one of Leon Rose. This is year one of this new regime. This is year one of Tom Thibodeau, who people said was a bad hire, who should be coach of the year. Like, this is it's year one. And we, it's still not over. You know, we can still, we, we're, we're, I think we're, I think we're favored in our first round matchup. So the fact that, we're even looking at the second, not only we were looking at home court now, so we're looking at the second round and it's like, you know, to be in the, to be in the space we're in, is just a really great thing because, you know, it's, it was an, unfa- this is an unfamiliar feeling. Like I'm 26. I've seen us go to the playoffs, like maybe five times in my life. I mean, and in my real life, I saw the 99 finals and everything like that, you know, <laughs> but after that, what a couple mellow years and now, so this is just a beautiful thing. Like it's, really dope and it's like life altering kind of because the Knicks are so important to our lives so like we're no longer losers like my basketball team I grew up with my basketball team being losers I was just horrible it was painful and I, and I did it in Florida while the heat were winning it was the worst <laughs> so and then you know the last year was my first year at TKW and covering the games it was great I had a great time but like it was a lot of post-game pouting 
It was just a lot of pouting, a lot of sadness. We were, every, I didn't want any of the people on the floor. Everybody was bothering me. Like <laughs> there was nothing to be happy about. And you know, like now we get to have all these feelings and celebrate these different things. So this has been, yeah, this has been a dream come true. This has been a great year. Like, so happy. I will never question your loyalty, Sean. To be a Knicks fan while LeBron was in Miami, that's that's impressive stuff. But just to highlight the forty-one wins, last two seasons combined, the Knicks won thirty-eight games. So they won forty-one with ten less games, no less. And like Sean said, I, I very, I feel very good about the first round matchup and just the postseason in general because the Knicks are a team that are just going to beat the shit out of you. And with that, I just want to get back into when we last left off. The Knicks were heading to LA with shit looking kind of bleak, where they got blown out twice. They go to the Clippers on Mother's Day. That was probably my favorite game of the season overall, just with the stakes and how it turned out. Even a loss to Los Angeles, to the Lakers a few days later. Same theme, where they were just beating the shit out of the star player and making everyone else beat them. And then to sweep at home, just the way they got the four seed, like they didn't fall ass backwards into it. That just made it a little more special, man, because it got to the point where, like, Phoenix, I wasn't down, but I was just like, okay, like, it's gonna, it might end up being Bucks in round one, and that's like, that's not the best situation, but now you have home court, which is beyond any of our wildest dreams, and we're doing it with pretty much the same team from last year, just massive leaps, as Sean said, storybook. It feels like all the karma from the last eight years finally flipped sides, where even all those lucky bounces are starting to go our way. The leap years are going our way now. So now when people come to MSG, it's not to show out and flip water bottles. It's you got to lock in for 48 minutes. Otherwise, you might get embarrassed. So it's it's fun to see how far we've come. Yeah. And the the tips thing where, you know, Sean mentioned where, you know, people were really vehemently against the tips hire. And um, I got to a point this last year. And I've said this for players. I've said this for executives. You guys have heard me use this phrase for like three years now. I don't care who they hired. Like, it didn't matter. Like, to me, like, if they hire Tibbs, what I'm trying to say is like, I didn't care about the name. I just cared that whoever came in, I was just going to give a fair shot. Like, I I don't care. I have no expectations for anybody at this point because we've hired guys who are supposedly good and tenured veteran coaches, and they've stunk. We've hired people who were new, fresh-faced coaches like Fisdale. And they've stunk. You know, I, I, it, you, you couldn't phase me with the name anymore. We, we've had big name executive comes in. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me. Names, names don't excite me. Leon Rose did not excite me. Tibbs did not excite me. I just wanted to see what are you going to do. We know what Tibbs has done in the past. So I didn't, I didn't really get the, the ill will. I thought at worst, the way that I approached the Tibbs thing was like, at worst, assuming he does most of what he's normally done, he's going to set some sort of a baseline. So even if you don't love him as a coach, I think he's a decent, like, step one coach. You know, we've seen that in the NBA time and time again. One coach helps turn things around. Does it three, two, three, maybe four or five years sometimes, like Brett Brown with the Sixers, and then, okay, uh, thank you. You got us this far. But we got to go with Doc Rivers now. We need to get a new coach, and that guy's going to take us to the next level. So I, I didn't know if it was that scenario or not, but I felt like that maybe was the worst-case scenario in my head. I thought... I didn't think the season was going to be this successful. You know, I, a lot of us didn't, but I thought he was going to set some kind of a baseline. They'd be somewhat better and we'd have some kind of an identity. I didn't think it was going to be this strong, but I thought there'd be enough. So I, I just didn't get like the, the outright like hatred towards Tibbs 
being the coach. I just thought, give him a chance at least, man. Like, I mean, clearly he's a good coach. That was the other thing too. Like, clearly he gets results. Like, it's ugly sometimes. It's clunky. That's his, that's his style. That's always been his style. In Chicago, they would beat you up. With the Jimmy Butler uh, Wolves teams, they weren't as gritty and physical, but like those games weren't that easy either. You know, those were, he had, he had a good team, even if it was, you know, Wiggins being Wiggins and, you know, Cat maybe not being as tough as they wanted, whatever, but they still went to the playoffs. They, they still won a bunch more games than they had been previously. So it's like wherever he goes, like they do somewhat good. So I just figured he's going to do some kind of good here. I just don't know what level of good. It could be a low level. It could be a high level like it, we have just now seen. But even the Leon Rose thing, I didn't think Leon did anything overly wild other than like hit on better kind of auxiliary uh, signings, whereas like Scott Perry kind of faltered with some of those. You know, I mean, Reggie now looks excellent because I think he's healthy this season like he probably wasn't last year. Um, But, you know, those Randall and uh, Reggie being Perry signings that panned out now, but, you know, hitting on Burks and hitting on some of these complimentary guys like Trading for Rose obviously has been drastic because uh, anybody know the record off the top of your head with Rose? Derek Rose. I want to say now it's twenty. I want to say now it's twenty three and eleven. That sounds right. I'll I'll double check. Yeah, I mean double check, but I mean either way, we knew it's they're they're basically I forgot what it is. It's almost a fifty game pace. If it was an eighty two game season, if Derek Rose played the full season, something like that. Like they're they're a very good team with him. So Leon's moves. Just those complimentary type things made a lot more sense and worked out. So there was, I, I don't know. I just think with this kind of stuff, um, you take it a day at a time with the signing. I don't think there's any reason to, well, when, it's a, when it's a front office person, a coaching staff, like I, I think you should never really get too high or too low is kind of my point. Like players are a little bit easier to like, you, you've seen them, you know what they're going to do more or less. Maybe you've seen them in different systems. You kind of know if you like a player or not or if he's going to fit or not. With coaches and front office guys, like it, it really is solely up to what the results are. That's why I never get happy about them in the beginning. I'm happy now. Now I've seen the results. Now you can officially say you did a good job. To me, you don't get a pat on the back before anything happens when you're a new guy. But hey, I mean, they did a great job. And uh, there's been a lot of eating crow for, for the Tibbs people. I, you, a lot of people got to walk it back. Uh, and, and I wasn't even mega pro Tibbs, but it's just. It, it's undeniably good at this point. Like, it, it, really, it really strongly is undeniably uh, good at this point. Like, the defensive stats, they're, they're first in, like, like half the defensive stats, or, and if not, they're second, third. I mean, I mean, just take your pick, really, of what you want to praise them for. You know, the only con is number six. Yeah, and just to add, they're fourth in defensive rating, second, two, in three-point percentage. And like you just said, Tibbs laid that groundwork. He said, we're going to play defense. We're going to shoot corner threes. And if you see where most of the three-point attempts have come, it's been in the corners. R.J. Barrett's found that sweet spot right in front of the Knicks bench. Reggie Bullock has just found a way to always end up in the corner, and he's hit a ton of big shots. Derek Rose has hit a lot of threes. Frank, we're going to get to talk about Frank a little bit. He had a little bit of a rival from the West Coast and carrying over now. And yeah, so 23 and 11 with Rose, by the way. And also, while we're talking about Rose, I have to add, we've been pushing two agendas. Tom Thibodeau, Coach of the Year. Julius Randle, Most Improved. I want to add Derrick Rose, Sixth Man of the Year. Am I crazy? No. Not at all. No, this not is, at all. So Jordan Clarkson had the first half of the year, right? This yeah. is the way I've looked at it. Jordan Clarkson had the first half of the year. And now I'm seeing on a lot of people's... Um, 
ballots that Joe Ingles has it, which I don't mean to make light of. I just want to speak on because both those guys for the season that the Jazz had 100% would deserve it. Let's just keep it a buck. However, Derrick Rose has produced like a clear starter off the bench as well, not just with scoring, but his, his all-around game. And the record uh, we just said speaks for itself. I don't think there's any reason he shouldn't at least be in that conversation. Um, I think he should be a finalist for sure. Um, I don't know if he's going to get it because he was a midseason acquisition, which I don't hold against them. I just feel like sometimes media will just because, he, you know, he didn't play whatever to start the season and whatever they want to say about it. But I think his, his play obviously warrants it. So uh, whether he gets it or not, we'll, we'll see. But should be in the yeah, combo. Yeah, so right now I'm looking at the odds, the top – Five or six guys. It's Clarkson, Engels, as you mentioned, Jalen Brunson, Chris Boucher from the Raptors, Shake Milton, and Trez for the Lakers. So I think he definitely belongs in that in that group. Just because I know the numbers don't jump out. Like he's only averaging 15 a game, but that's where you kind of have to add context. Where the team literally took off once he arrived, and that second where, unit. Go it's ahead. not just no. It's not, it's not just the offense too. It's the defense. I want right. to. Because we only talk about offense with Derrick Rose all the time, and I've been trying to make it a point in every single podcast we've recorded this last month to talk about his defense. Because his defense has been excellent. I still have not, because I'm lazy, looked at the activity <laughs> stats of Derrick Rose, but I would venture to guess like his steals, blocks, like his overall defensive production is dramatically different since he's been a Nick. Because he's been getting a lot of like deflections even, like little things in the passing lane. Like He's been a, a pretty damn good defender. Like, People like to kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, he's solid at defense. No, like if you actually have to look at the games, like he's hounding guys now. This isn't this isn't like the first time he was here, he would do that lazy like Alfred. I'll chase you on, on a screen. Like I'm not really going to go hard through it. And that's why he frustrated people. because He would score a lot and then do that. But now he's just playing. He's in excellent shape and he's just playing great defense. He had a couple of highlight moments on the defensive end this season, like that block against the Pelicans to send it to OT. That whole Lakers game, he was single-handedly keeping the Knicks in, and he had a couple steals and just hounding him and Taj. Just the late, the last stretch, and I'm, by the way, I'm very on board with Taj becoming our Udonis Haslam, where we just keep up the end of the bench and bring in when needed, because him and Rose coming in, they're becoming the first two off the bench now for Tibbs. I feel like that always checks the temperature of the game. Like, if the Knicks are struggling, it comes back. If they're doing good, they kind of keep that momentum up. So those two have just been invaluable this year. Yeah, Derek Rose and Taj have been huge. Um, Taj has definitely been able to just do kind of what we need him to do. Uh, defend well, box out, rebound, provide a little bit off. He's finishing well around the basket, you know, providing that mid-range jumper every once in a while. And Derek Rose, I mean, yeah, he deserves to be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation um, because it's, it's the, the defense is incredible. The offense is good. And not only is he scoring, but, like, the efficiency is crazy, too, like, he was sh- shooting like 60% from the field and like 50% from three over a pretty solid stretch. Like a very, it was a large enough sample size to be like, yo, this guy's hooping. And he was putting up like 19 points a game over that stretch. So, you know, I just feel like all those things have to play into it. And like if, because if in rookie of the year, like Lamelo's probably going to win rookie of the year. And I love Lamelo. but Lamelo missed like two months. So it's like, if he can miss two months not playing basketball at all, then how come Derrick Rose's two months not being our sixth man disqualifies, disqualifies, ah, disqualifies him from that? I don't think that that should. Um, I think he's been really impactful. I think that, you know, if Shake Milton could be on there, 
I think Derrick Rose can. Yeah, uh, I mean, it'd be interesting because, look, I think this is the first year the Knicks have had this many candidates for awards. I also keep it a buck with you. Um, in years past, we've had like, oh, Melo's the scoring champ and Tyson's defensive player of the year. But like, that's kind of where the buck stopped. It was mostly like the player achievements. And, uh, you know, this year you have Julius, who's, <laughs> you know, NBA all-star, who's going to win most improved player. Those two are locks. I think you can guarantee those, right? Uh, on top of that, he's very likely going to get all NBA. I don't see how he wouldn't make a single team. Um, so I feel about 95% confident that the media is not going to ruin this. I think a couple of people, obviously, you know, all ballots are going to be different. I don't expect everybody to have them on. But as long as he gets on at least on one, I'll be okay. But, you know, Julius might lock up like three things just by himself. Like, that's already nuts. And then on, t- and then on top of that, you have Rose, who I don't, he's not going to win six man of the year. I, that's just my gut. But um, he should be in the conversation. The fact that we were even talking about it is, is something. Tibbs has a real shot at coach of the year. Um, I would understand Monty getting it. I think that that makes a lot of sense with the Suns being contenders. I don't want to take away from them, especially out West. But to me, I think the Knicks having the most dramatic turnaround. The, the reason for, for me with the Knicks, I think, Tibbs gets it. This is my distinction. Uh, and Suns fans can yell at me, whatever. Um, I give Tibbs the nod, and, I, and I'm biased, but he brought back, like, the same roster. Like, it was a couple of draft picks, but it was, like, largely the same roster. And then, like, I'm sorry, but the, the trade for Derrick Rose, you can look at my own tweet where I was just like, meh, I don't really know what this is going to do. I don't know if I believe in Derrick Rose right now, but whatever. Let's see what happens. It's better than... Dennis Minnis Jr. wasn't doing anything at this point, so let's just give it a... I wasn't that excited about it, but it's been pretty damn good, right? So it's like, he's largely had the exact same guys. It's, it's largely been the exact same thing they tried to do last year with Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and then figuring out an attack. And they just figured out how to do it better this year, and then a couple of the pieces, you know, made more sense. So to me, Monty gets a ton of credit because the offense looked really good last year. They just weren't winning as many games, especially in the bubble. Uh, some of the stuff that he was doing was, uh, you know, pretty exciting, and obviously they were on fire. But I think adding Chris Paul is, a, like, kind of a big driver there. Like, that's a big—he's still an all-star. You know what I mean? He's still an all-NBA-level player. He was even in the MVP combo for some. Um, kind of a big deal. I mean, it's a, you know, you have Booker, and also guys like Campaign came on really strong. Like, I, I don't know. I just— Again, not to take away, I feel like Monty definitely could slash should win. But to me, Tibbs just kind of like taking mostly the same Knicks roster that everyone laughed at last year and then making them like, you know, this and, and, you know, all the development that some of these players have done. Julius, you know, RJ, Rose even turning into a defensive revelation. Noel turning into uh, all-NBA center off the bench after it looked like we might have like an all-defensive team center in Mitch already. I don't know. I. I go to, but I, I understand. I am also biased. They really need to separate it into East and West for certain awards because it feels wrong that Thibodeau's not going to win. I'm looking at the odds right now. Monty's pretty much a lock. And then you have Tibbs right behind him. He passed Quinn Schneider, which I think in itself is impressive because the Jazz had such a great year. But yeah, I, I, it's going to be really tough for him to not walk away with an, a proper accolade for turning around a franchise that no one's been able to really turn around. 
I mean, Mello, the Mike Woodson year, I would credit more to just that was legit star power. Thibodeau did this with virtually none because Julius evolved into a star. He pretty much absorbed a, a roster that was projected to win 22 games. He took a roster that the very same media that has to vote for this award called gutted and rudderless when the last coach was fired. So, that, your own words. So, it's just like, if that's what it is, Chris Paul, listen, the Thunder had a 0.7% chance of going to the playoffs. And Chris Paul had them win damn near 50 games in the season that got cut short. Like, and they got the four seed out west. So I knew that the Suns were going to be good. He made the Thunder good. He's Chris Paul. He raises the floor of a basketball team. Does Monty deserve credit? Of course, he's the coach. But, like, Billy Donovan damn sure wasn't the coach of the year last year. Like, you know, it's just, it, it it's different. Like, this is a gutted and rudderless roster that's projected to win 22 games, and he made us top on both sides of the ball in categories. He did exactly what he needed to carry out. Julius Randle, it. I feel like if you coach the most improved player, that should also help your case for coach of the year. Like, you coach the most improved player who had an MVP-level season. R.J. Barrett went from left off the all-rookie team to being the second-best player on a team with home court advantage in the playoffs. So it's just like, yeah, like all those awards are voted. Like the media, they're the same people that left R.J. Barrett off. They're the same people that called it a gutter and rudderless roster. So it's just like, based on your own words and based on your own standards, I don't really see how Tom Thibodeau isn't the coach of the year. I will say this, though. The, 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 even if they don't choose him for coach of the year, I do want to acknowledge the fact that the praise for Tibbs from media in general has been pretty consistent since like January in terms of, oh shit, the Knicks are for real. Like at least this defense is nuts. Like they've been giving him a lot of credit, like a lot of outlets, a lot of talking heads, you know, like it, regardless of whatever happens with the actual voting, um, I feel like that's enough in in terms of acknowledgement, at least for me. Like, if that's going to be the consolation, is this like everybody can't stop talking about how Tibbs set the foundation and the culture? Like, again, I, I we've had this combo once. I see a lot of fans get upset with the positive coverage. Like, the ESPN wasn't on our side, guys. Like, ESPN doesn't have sides, bro. ESPN has no sides. They they it, it's a nonsensical argument you guys are making to to want ESPN to have been rooting for you or. Uh, giving you rosy arguments while the team was bad. Don't give me the fingers, Mike. Because no, one one thing, Jorge Sedano's video, that was just like cringe beyond cringe. That guy's a little... Been, never mind. That was like... Uh, well, th- there's a... Listen, th- there's always a couple of extreme outlier type people, but my point is largely like there's been good and like press regarding the Knicks. Like there's been a lot of Julius Randle... Pre- like every, I see Julius Randle on every account at this point. I see him on Bleach Report. I see him on ESPN. I see him on Stat Muse. I see him on ESPN Stats and Info. Every day I wake up, there's some new Julius Randle bit or segment or somebody's talking about him for some award or some sort of distinction or honor. The same thing with Tibbs. They talk about his defense all the time, and I, I don't know. So I just feel like you got to just – this is what happens. They, they turned it around. They started winning, and now they're going to talk about them like they're good. It is what it is. This is good. It, you know, Even if they don't win the awards, like getting this much good press is a gigantic win. That's we argued forever, right? A lot of fans argued the bad coverage doesn't help them get free agents. That doesn't help make us attractive. Da, 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 da. Okay, well they took care of that in seventy-two games now, so it's done. It's done. It's behind us. Okay, like people are saying nice things about us. It, it's good now. That's a good thing actually. Going into the off season in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think the star players also giving us good press, whether it's a hookup. Is Chris Paul said something? Kawhi and Paul George have all said similar things where it's like, yo, we got to show up against this team. And like this team has something building. <clears throat> and we haven't heard that since Amari was here when he first got here. And we saw what that turned into. I mean, albeit they screwed it up, but you know, it got to the point where it was title contention was a realistic possibility for a brief moment. So good press is very helpful, especially when you have Worldwide West and Leon Rose at your disposal. Now they have something to bring to the table when they're in someone's ear versus trying to say, hey, you can help turn it around. You can already say, hey, we're turning it around. Why don't you jump on on the uptick? So very important thing that people seem to miss. Enjoy that we're good, guys. Please. Yeah, like it's okay to be good. It's okay to enjoy the team being good. And if the team is good, they're going to cover us for being good. Yes, they covered us excessively and we were bad. I think they made corny jokes. There's people like George Sedano. Yeah, they drove the net, but it's just, it's a large machine. We're a large market. So they drove more of the negative stuff in. And now, like, yeah, you see it everywhere because they have to. If you, you look weird, if you're not doing it, you have to cover the Knicks and all the stories are positive. They tried to throw a couple, like, you know, distraction stories in at the point, tried to say, oh, with it. Everyone saw how they spin. Max Kellerman is still like, he was like, oh, well, now, once we were good, it was like, oh, is the next season a failure if they don't win a, the first round series? And it's just like, bro, like, I'm moving to goalpost. Just say you were wrong. It's okay. But like, that's, you know, that's the outlier at this point. Like, it's okay for people to cover the team as a good team because we are a good team. Like, what do you want them to do? Still say we suck and then complain about that? Like, yeah, you don't always have to have something to complain about. It's okay. Enjoy it. We're good. Allow us to be good and be excited. And remember, it also doesn't matter what they say. Like, I don't, now we're, I've been saying it all year. Like, okay, if the national media doesn't believe in us, it's okay. All playoff games are nationally televised. Like, let's just go to the playoffs. <laughs> well, I mean, that's sort of why, like, Randall's catchphrase this season, because it's, it's very simple. Uh, we here. It's not, uh, it's not an over, an overarching sort of expectation. It's not something where you think, oh, he, he's trying to, oh, it's ring or bust. He's simply just saying, like, Wherever we are right now, we are here. You know, we were in the, in the playoffs, in the thick of it, in the sixth seed. We're here right now. You no know, one expected us to even get that far, right? So it's like them getting the four seed. All right, well, that's where we are now. We're here. So I expect the same thing in the play. It, it's it's a buttoned up approach. There, there's not a lot of talking. It's just Randall and RJ showing up with hard hats every day, trying to bully and bludgeon people into another W, uh, as they did with the Celtics today against their uh, B team, the JV team. Um, you know, Sean said there's not much to complain about these days. This this game was probably the only thing. Uh, I don't know how they almost vomited that away. I don't even want to spend so much time talking about it. I almost just want to, you know, note that it happened, and then we could just skip right to uh, talking about the Hawks coming up because, yikes. Uh, it, they they just looked like they were over it, bros. Like, they just, they just looked like they were like, all right, man, we think we locked up four. Can we just get out of here and just – focus on the hawks like that was the first time i felt like i saw them looking ahead for the first time it's hard to get up when you're facing carson edwards and i don't even know the guy's first name waters they played well but i'm saying it's hard to stay engaged when that's who you're facing you know you just want to get to the you're already thinking about okay we have home court doing all this but man this it was that second half that fourth quarter was just rough to watch, man. And number six was particularly, just particularly awful today. Just lazy. Even Clyde questioned why he was starting. And I feel like Clyde's 
<laughs> patience with number six overall is just completely gone, and rightfully so. There was just that one play where even RJ said something because he, I forgot what the hell happened. He, I think he got blocked by Cornette for a second straight time, which I don't know what he was doing on both those attempts where he got swatted, but regardless, he jogs back down the other end of the court, at least to a wide open three. And it's like, what, what are we doing here with this guy? Because I think Thibodeau's starting to realize it, but I have a feeling he's going to be like Keith Bogans was for the, I think it was the 2010-11 Bulls, where he started every game in the regular season for no reason, and he started every playoff game for no reason, bringing little value. So that's probably like the only red flag I have going into the postseason because everyone else looks great. Obi, by the way, continues to look really strong in his minutes. I think the only Talk players I it. don't want to – yeah, it's it's he just looks way more comfortable. He's not just floating around. He's cutting, and part of that's Rosen Gibson mentoring him and working with him and just playing, being on the floor with him at all times. All this is gelling together at the right time to the point where as long as I'm not seeing Kevin Knox, Elf, that's pretty much it. Everyone else can pretty much play. Those are like the only two guys that just don't want to see on the floor the rest of the way. So let me ask you guys this. Well, first of all, on the Obi note, uh, he, the, the comfortable point that Drew just brought up is the best one because that pump fake off the Derrick Rose pass on the right wing with the step in for the bank shot was probably the most fluid like thing that I've seen him do. Like we've seen like the dunks and a couple of the good effort plays where he might miss or he's putting something back in around the rim using his, you know, elite athleticism. But um, I, I love that because that was sort of like the appeal of Obi, the sell of Obi was he was one of the better and, and polished offensive players in this draft. And I think that's why when, you know, they took him initially, we had questions about why they would do that with Randall here. But, you know, seeing him do that off the bench right now is like a, as we're heading to the playoffs, is a really, really welcome sight. Because Tibbs, you know, even when things were getting rough for, for Obi back in like January or early February, whenever it was that bad stretch that he had before he started putting it together, um, Tibbs like refused to take him out of the rotation the same way he's refused to do it with Alfred, you know, so to our own detriment, it doesn't always win with Tibbs, but um, yeah, Obi just looks great, man. Like I, I love that move. I love how he's looked lately. Um, even just how confident he's been shooting the ball. Like when he catches it, like he's not even thinking about it. Beginning of the season, it was almost like he'd like kind of like play around with the ball a little bit. Like he'd catch it mm-hmm. and like, am I going to stay here? Am I going to dribble? Like, what do I want to do? He's a rookie. It happens. But uh, he, he just looked good. He very, like, it's like the game is simplified for him right now. He's just catching the ball and like, all right, I'm going to take a step in, bang. I'm going to just shoot it right here, bang. I'm going to just go to the rim. It's, it, it's a really fun development, you know, in, in a season with a lot of them. Yeah, well, Obi has definitely been a lot of fun over this, like, last few weeks of the season because he just seems to get better and more comfortable every night. And like you said, that, like the pump fake and pull up off the dribble, like off the glass. I was like, whoa, hold on, Obi, because it just was really, really smooth and fluid. And he just continues to look more comfortable. Uh, and then he was like handling the ball a little bit in the open court and tried to like, you know, get in there. And he like used the left. He hung in the air a little bit. It didn't go in, but it was just, I liked seeing it. And, you know, the same confidence he's shooting with. He's in the right spots defensively. Like he's not a liability. Honestly, Obi's not really a liability defensively at all, in my opinion. Like, I watch, you know, I don't ever see him like, oh, he's killing us right now. Like, so, I mean, I, to see him get there already um, and to see the improvement that he made from the beginning of the year, like, it's just exciting to see what he can do in the playoffs. And then after the playoffs, like going into next season, well, like what he comes back as after an offseason. So 
that's been really dope to see. Um, and as far as number six, I mean, yeah, we all know how we all feel. Uh, that guy is, he's just, you know, and it's crazy because I don't even say anything about it anymore. That's how I know. Like, because there's nothing I have to say. I, during the games, I don't tweet about it. Like, I don't say most times. When he got blocked by Cornette, I LMAO'd because it was hilarious. Like, I just put a lot of A's and O's because it was just so funny because he, the first time. And then the second time he goes in there and he tries to dunk on him and it's just like, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what? When's the last time you just came down the lane and dunked on a seven footer, bro? Like, like, why do you think that's something to do right now? Like, I don't understand. And then it's like, if you're gonna try it on Luke Court, it looks ten times worse when you try it on Luke Cornette and get stuffed. Like, that's crazy because it's, it's 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 just embarrassing. And then yeah, he went back and did the same. There's no like real effort. Um, I really hope that he doesn't. Keith Bogans us like I. Because it's too loud. I feel like Alfred did a he did us all a favor this last game by showing one last time how much he really doesn't care about being a starting point guard and about basketball. Um, I don't think anybody would have jump shot that bad cares that much about basketball. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, like I, he showed us one last time. So hopefully in the playoffs we don't have to sit through those minutes because it's just every single minute counts in the playoffs. Every game is every quarter is a game. You can't waste any. He's not. It would be one thing if he was in those 14 minutes, like, he was really provide. Like, I feel like the wise thing to do, if you want to keep that same structure going, you want to keep Rosen quickly coming off the bench, and, like, start the games off with Frank for the first six or seven minutes. At least Frank is giving you elite defense and length to bother Trey Young and stay with him and get through the screens or something. If that's your angle, that makes sense. That's an, like, Alfred, there's nothing that he provides that no one else provides. And not only is there nothing he provides that no one else provides, there's just nothing that he provides. He's not going to shoot it well. He's not. At one point, they, like, I was so mad because RJ had a match, mismatch in the post. Um, He got the ball in the post, and as soon as he got the ball in the post, they doubled right off of Alfred. And I was like, well, and then Alfred was standing there, and RJ swung it to him, and Alfred got it in the middle. But you can't really do anything with it there either, so he kicked it out. And Reggie got it, and he was in the corner, so he kind of gave it back to Alfred because they doubled right, like, and Alfred was open. He's open. He's just still not an option. He can't really do anything with the ball, and it led to a turnover, so. <sighs> I don't know, but I, I'm just, I've had enough of those, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the OB minutes and what he can do. Looking forward to seeing playoff IQ. Um, you know, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm so fed up with number six. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's really important that they address that because the Hawks, we know they start and end with Trey young. And if he gets off to a hot streak, like he did the last game they played where he was, he had 16 and five in the first eight minutes of the game, they can't let him get off to those type of streaks. So I know Thibodeau's already been rolling back else minutes. I think he's averaging like 16 minutes per game over his last 11. And I think the night before, I think Saturday, he only played 12 minutes. I forgot how many he played today. One too many, but you know, you get the sense where it's Thibodeau's even starting to notice. You got to dial it back. So let me paint you guys picture for my plan that I would like to do with the guard minutes against the Hawks because I see a lot of stuff like, oh, well, if if you want someone who's out there for defense, you might as well just start Frank Nielakina. This isn't even Frank Slender. I'm going to use him in this. I just wouldn't start him. So my thing is Derrick Rose has to fucking start. Derrick Rose has to start. Don't t- don't talk to me about the defense thing because Derrick Rose has been playing good defense since he's been in it. This the second stint, right? So yes, it's Trey Young. No matter who you put on Trey Young, there's a chance that he's going to go off. So I just, for the starting purposes, I, I got to have Derrick Rose in there. 
And I don't feel like the bench skips a beat because you need to trim your rotation, right? If Tibbs doesn't take out Alfred, that's a 10-man rotation. I was talking to Brian Giverman about this earlier during the game. It's a 10-man rotation. Against the Bulls, even when he, bo- he bogans it, right? He had nine guys in the rotation. You really, like, why would Tom Thibodeau have 10 guys in this rotation because he refuses to take out Alfred for the 8 to 12 minutes a game that he needs to play? It makes no sense. You would think that he has to, has to take him out. But I don't want to believe that because we just went through 72 entire games of that not happening. So it is what it is. But my point is, what I would do, I would start Rose. And then I would take Rose out just a little bit early, a little bit early into Trey's minutes. And then those last couple minutes before Trey goes for his first rest, Frank comes in, hounds him, hounds him, picks him up full court, just go nuts. Just pick up, pick up a couple fouls, whatever you got to do, lay into him. I go nuts with Frank, and I try to do that every time. To close out Trey's minutes, you know, in the first half, first quarter, third quarter, like whatever it is, just keep pounding him with a couple of Frank minutes. Just keep sending him in there, pestering him, bothering him, because Frank actually has had some success on Trey too. Like, again, I'm not a Frankator. It makes sense here. You just got to use him the right way, deploy him the right way. But I don't think we miss anything off the bench because Burks has played point guard off the bench, right? That, that's been a thing. He's played point Burks. He's been a, a playmaker. And on top of that, you know Quickly's back and healthy now, and he's going to have a couple games where he's on, and you know he could score. So if you're bringing Burks and Quickly off the bench with Frank as the, the, the defensive sort of two guard to kind of switch on to, to Trey, I think that's how you have a really effective set of guards against the Hawks. Because I, I just don't know what else you would do. Like, what, what, is the, what is the point of Alfred, right? Because... The Hawks score a lot of points. So you already know your offense isn't going to be as good with Alfred. And you already know that he gets roasted when Alfred's guarding Trey Young, right? So like, what would, like, if you're Tibbs, like, you, you got to know this, right? Like, Tibbs is way smarter than all three of us put together. He, he knows more basketball than we forgot. Like, I'm not trying to be the, the fake smart guy. But, like, because of that, he has to know. He just has to know. I want him to admit it after this is all over. But, like, he just has to know. Like, he's... Right, but my my guard minute play makes plenty of sense. I would assume. Does anybody disagree? What would you guys do? I think that's no. That's exactly what it is. I'm not sure if he does it, but maybe the alternative, which we've mentioned before, put Burks up there. But I think the defense is where Rose has to get the nod in that situation because the main thing that you liked from Rose in the second unit was mostly the offense because when he came in, the offense was usually stagnant and he was finding people. But if you already have that ball movement going on to start, you just add spark plugs like Quickly and Burks along with Obi and Taj, and now that second unit can just pick up wherever they left off. And you just got to keep the pressure on Atlanta because outside of Trey Young, what's the biggest thing you're worrying about? You're worrying about Capella killing you on the boards. You're worrying about John Collins, which I'm not worried. But, you know, like you got to keep the pressure on Trey Young. And I think Elf being an offensive void along with Noel, but Noel at least contributes on defense. Peyton's not contributing on anything. It's just dead minutes that you're kind of just putting yourself in the hole for no reason. I would rather use Frank more late in the fourth quarter and with the second unit, but that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, just want, I think you want to keep pressure on Trey Young and annoy him because when he's off, he's off. And when he's on, he's pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, no, I... Number six can't get any of those minutes. It's a waste of time. Like you said, the rotation has to be trimmed down. 
and there's really nowhere else to take the minutes from. I mean, if you're going to be playing a guy 16 minutes and not playing him down the stretch of either half, you already know, like you've known for quite some time that you can't play this guy. So just do the right thing, do what makes sense, and put the best bas- basketball team on the floor as many minutes as possible. Um, I like the idea of bringing Frank in toward the end of Trey's minutes just to come in there and throw him off in spurts. I like the way that Frank is, I mean, that he's been using Frank situationally, at least for possessions even, mm-hmm. calling him up off the bench like, hey, like Frank got a deflection. Says, Frank got a steal today on the, at the end of the third quarter. He was out there for like four seconds, and as soon as the play started, he got a steal. But RJ didn't realize how much time he had, so he's about to try to draw it from half court. But, um, you know, just him having the ability to make those plays. So I really think he should definitely be used against Trey Young, though, because that length and even the way he fights through screens, the way he stays attached to guys, I just think that, you know, we he can disrupt. Because, like I said, the offense, their offense starts and goes through Trey Young completely. So it's like if you can neutralize him as much as possible, if you can frustrate him, if you can, you know, keep him contained, then you do a great job of, like, you know, throwing a wrench in the cog of their offense. So I definitely hope we use Frank in these minutes. Hopefully, I, I would really like to see the minute distribution kind of, First of all, I said it in the after the other game last after the Hornets game. Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly should never combine for less than forty eight minutes. Doesn't make any sense. Emmanuel quickly played twenty four that game, but it was because he played all five minutes of overtime. But like in regulation, Derrick Rose had twenty five minutes and Emmanuel quickly had nineteen, and it's just like so we wasted sixteen minutes or whatever Alfred had of this guy being on the court. We had our two best point guard options less than a full game and they run out there together sometimes it just it doesn't make any sense so um we need to try to lean into that as much as possible and we just got to have guys on the floor that are going to be able to score um and i think that we have to have derrick rose in the game down the stretches i've noticed the last couple games he hasn't necessarily been out there and i think in that hornets game that hurt us a lot because for like they we didn't score for the last four and a half minutes and i feel like derrick rose could have helped with that um you know another guy that we can go to i think a lot of times we end up going through randall because we don't have a real point guard on the floor and we'll be going to Randall in those situations where the defense is loading up on him rather than like going to Derrick Rose and having like a pick and roll and they got a switch and now Randall's attacking a shifting defense and things like that. So I just feel like we should, you know, try to finish, try to close games out with Derrick Rose. You know, uh, the, the, the Burke starting note was a decent one, Mike. I, I, I don't mind. My point is, However you want to do it, like, I, I think almost any way that they do it is, is well enough, you know? Like, Burks makes well enough sense because we've seen him play some lead guard minutes and we know that he's a, a obvious, very accurate shooting threat, both catch and shoot and off the dribble. He was killing him today off the dribble. But um, that would make plenty of sense. I, I just, for me, going into the playoffs, I, I, I just like the idea of, like, Derrick Rose leading the Tom Thibodeau offense. I mean, he... Randall would still lead the offense, but, you know, be the, be the point guard out there starting with that group uh, in the playoffs and with the defense, again, the defense that he's been playing, the offensive upside. I feel like I would trust that and just, like, Burks keep doing his thing off the bench and just keep cooking. But e- either way, I-, I feel like, yeah, you can't really lose at this point. It's just the jig is up. The jig is up. But my uh, my only other real worry, because I actually really like the way we went, match up with the Hawks, um, I haven't seen many people – saying anything about the Knicks not being able to handle the Hawks. I've seen a couple Knicks fans complaining about that. I don't know if I'm just not following some, like, Hawks trolls or something, but Julius Randle, like, abuses the Hawks. Like, I don't know if anybody can pull the numbers up or ask them real quick, but, like, Ju- just, just, like, he was beats the dog shit out of them. Like, no, no, no offense, but, like, John Collins is food for Julius Randle. 
Food. 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 Look, it's right there. It's on the board. Food. I mean, what do you like? I get Capella, right? Like, I'm not trying to downplay things, but it's like my my only like real worry is like DeAndre Hunter potentially on RJ Barrett. This is the only thing that I've spent time thinking about. Now, DeAndre Hunter hasn't been healthy. He hasn't really looked that good since he's been back uh, either time. But if he's healthy for this run, this series, and the playoffs with the Knicks, I I don't know that it's anything that RJ couldn't overcome. I just think like those sort of longer wings, he sometimes has issues with, at least initially. So, you know, they're almost the same size. I think RJ's like 6'6", 210-ish, 15-ish, something like that. DeAndre Hunter's like 6'7", right? Something like that. Two, almost 230, 225, 230. I think he's got a longer wingspan than RJ. Uh, it, again, it's, it's close, but that's like my only thing. I wouldn't say that I'd be fearful of, but I, I would have some concern about. Because the, 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 Rand- the Randall John Collins thing, I'm not worried about uh, at, at all. Uh, Capella with Noel there is like, I, I'm interested to see what happens because they've both, been, they've both been nuts this year, to be honest with you. Capella's been really special this season. Uh, he came on really strong to close out the season. That's why they went and, and won so many games. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not, like, overly worried. I think we just match up pretty well across the board, and if RJ can deal with some of that physicality and the length of, of Hunter, I think we'll be in decent shape, assuming number six isn't playing or his leash is as short as it has been. I just don't want this season and the what if to be what if we just didn't play Alfred Payton because it's so obvious and it's just like so avoidable. But uh, producer Dom provided the stats. Julius Randle <laughs> this season against the Atlanta Hawks. 37.3 points per game, 12.3 rebounds, 6.7 assists. Food! 50, 59% from the floor, 50 from three. He had 40, 40, and 28 against them in those three all wins by the way so i feel very good i think this is i didn't want to face now that i'm thinking about it because i was talking cash shit about oh i don't care facing the bucks now that i'm thinking about it i really didn't want to face a good defensive team right out the gate i'd rather face like a team that's like you know where randall's you know randall's gonna have an easier time even obi like obi's not gonna have a tough time scoring in the second against their their second unit Unless I'm forgetting somebody, but not I, on some real shit. I was I was worried if we played the Bucks for Julius. I'm just gonna yeah. I'm just gonna keep it a a a buck, no pun intended. But like <laughs> like do do we remember the games against the Bucks? Like the first yeah, the, fir- the, the first game the first game great, great obviously blew him out. The second game the things that they did to Julius to make his life difficult with sending the help and the way that they would sort of wall him off early like. Julius likes to catch the ball and then get comfortable and then make a decision. And they'd like, as he's catching the ball, sort of already be there. Like the help would already be waiting. And uh, he had some real issues. And I don't trust the Bucks in the playoffs, but I trust their defense in the first round. And that's not something that I wanted Julius to have to deal with. And I'm just glad that we get the Hawks at least because this is a team that he's had not just like, like some success against. He's had, I don't know that you could have more success of, uh, against the team than Julius Randle's had against the Hawks. And not only Julius, I feel like RJ, because yeah, the DeAndre Hunter matchup is like, you know, on paper, but I feel like there's something about RJ just because of who he is. Like, you know, like when we play the Hawks, RJ always plays really well. He gets up for those games. Like, you know, he sees Cam Reddish on the other side. 
DeAndre Hunter was drafted right after him. I think that like RJ just has this chip on his shoulder, like where he's gonna. Like, I feel like that'll be a big part of it. Like, let's make sure nobody thinks DeAndre Hunter's on my level by the end of this series. I see that for RJ Barrett. I just, I just feel it. Like, I don't worry about that. I feel like he's gonna be huge in this series. I think he's gonna create a lot of separation in those conversations, just in case there are any. Yeah, and his quote in the post game, Reed Goldsmith, who was covering for the Knicks, well, I, it just made me very excited for what's to come. He said on making the postseason, before I got drafted, this is something I envisioned. This is something I wanted to do. I've always said I'm a winner. I just had a feeling that I was going to be able to be part of a team to get to the playoffs. Like that's that's the mentality that sold me on RJ before he was a Nick, and it's what's selling me on him not having sustained struggles like he might have one game where hunter put him puts him in a bind but i think he's smart enough and resilient definitely resilient enough to adjust so i'm not really worried about him or randall but less defense the better man i'm not really worried the only thing that does seriously worry me is capel on the offensive boards just because knicks have really struggled out mitch on the offensive glass so that's like where the game could like a, a, a tight game could swing the Hawks way, I think it's that would be why. But like I said, I think we have home court advantage. And like I said before the pod, we're playing in Atlanta, so it's always a home game for New York and Atlanta. So I think everything's falling in rightly where we can at least start to think about, you know, we might actually have more than seven more games left in this season. So, yeah, I, I want second round, man. Like n- now that we got to the point where, you know, we're happy to be here. We got that out of our system. We locked it in. We got the home court, you know. And I think we should have today to at least feel good and celebrate that we can move on, you know. But um, to me, I, I, we talked about it in the last pod, but I felt like if we got the Hawks, to me, we we got to get second round. I feel like that that's the way that I look at it now. Not, not that this season would be a failure. This season could never be a failure by any any extent. But it would be disappointing if we were to lose to the Hawks, for me. For me, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, they, they've been really good. I think you match up well. I think you got to, again, this is the NBA playoffs. They had pretty similar seasons. Anything could happen. Um, but, man, the Knicks get into the second round in an overachieving year. And then, like, to me, like, then you're obviously going to play a, a Nets, a Buck, whoever, you know. And then whatever happens, happens, and you go from there. But uh, who would they play if they move to the second round? Philly. And I want it. I want Brooklyn, man. That would have been so fun. Brooklyn would have been fun. Um, I, I would have wanted Brooklyn, but Philly, I understand. Because Philly, I feel like we still haven't beaten them. I think we need to talk about that. Uh, ben Simmons has never lost to the New York Knicks. That's not- crazy. That so, is insane. Yeah, so not that that means we're going to get swept or anything because the playoffs are different, but... Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, mb has been nuts. I, I think that's a, I don't want to get ahead of myself, obviously, but <laughs> Philly would be tough because they're, they're a half court team. They're, they, they like to do some of the same kind of stuff we do. It would be like a, be like a bloodbath. It'd be a fight to the death. I, I'd want Philly. Um, just because I feel like one, yeah, they swept us this year, but like those, like th- Three of them were like by like one point, and that one was literally given to them by the refs, where they called the foul on Julius at the end of the game, and I was like, "Are you serious?" Um, and I think you know, if the second round, the way Tibbs was speaking on Mitch, you know, it didn't sound like he was going to be back like to begin the playoffs or anything like that. But I think we make it to the second round, Mitch comes back, 
I think that helps a lot with <laughs> Embiid. You know, that helps a lot with the Embiid matchup. Not that Mitch is going to lock him up or anything, but it's a lot more size. You can, you know, throw Mitch out there on him. Um, and I think that if you give Tom Thibodeau seven games to game plan against a guy who's not going to shoot a three-pointer, I think that, you know, we can make some things happen. And, like, if it's going to be a bloodbath, like, that's kind of our game. Like, that's <laughs> we, so let, let's have a bloodbath. And it's the second, you know, at that point, we're the team that's, we're the team that's playing with nothing to lose. Once we get to the second round against Philly, they're number one seed. We're the team playing with nothing to lose. And I just think that we honestly match up pretty well with them, even though, you know, the, what, what Ben Simmons did to RJ the first time we played them, like, had me nervous for a little while. But then when RJ played him again and he just, like, bounced back, I was like, okay, cool. Like, so, I mean, I would love to see Philly in the second round. I think that, you know, I'm not saying we would win it, but I think that we definitely would have a shot. And I, I want all the smoke. So... Uh, a real quick non-playoff note. Uh, you know how earlier in the pod... Oh, a real quick non-playoff note. Uh, you know, earlier in the pod, how I said every time I go to scroll, there's a new stat. And every time I see a stat, it's always fun. NBA.com slash stats tweeted out. 24.1 points per game. 10.2 rebounds per game. 6 assists per game. Julius Randle is the first New York Knicks player in franchise history to average 20-plus points per game, 10-plus rebounds, and 5-plus assists per season. And, if I'm not mistaken, he shot 40% from three in addition, and I believe him and Larry Bird are the only players to do such a thing. Like, what more can you say? What more can I say? It's, we're not prisoners of the moment. This is like one of easily one of the best Knicks seasons I'll probably ever see. It, right? is, it I mean, is. It is. Okay. So the best Knicks seasons individually... The best one was was Mellow 2012-13 if you're looking at individual play plus the team success, right? Because Mellow individually, statistically, was like better actually in 2013-14, but the team, you know, underachieved dramatically for reasons that we don't need to even speak on before I rant on this podcast about something no one wants to hear again. All positivity. Yeah, okay. So, so there was that. But, you know, aside from that, it was like, the first half of 2014-15 for Mello was good, but the team, again, was a lot of team. They were horrible. Um, before that, what, really? Right? It was, uh, then, then you go back to then you go back Ewing. 90-91, Ewing. he averaged like four blocks, 20-something points, I think, double-digit rebounds. But, like, you're going all the way back to literally 1990. Yeah, so if you got to jump this many, de- like, that's what I mean. If it's been that long of a, a wait, like, it... It's not a prisoner of the moment thing because it's just the truth. Uh, if you haven't had this, that many good players having that many good seasons for your team over the last couple decades, it, it just is one of the, the better and more important ones. And obviously, if you haven't already, make sure you meet, read Mike's piece on that on the Knicksball.com, uh, sort of regarding Randall's season as a whole and why it's a truly special season. Uh, not just a fun, overachieving season, like a true special season because those stats aren't just like, oh, he had a... He had one good year or he had a good contract. You know, people make jokes and shit. Like, to me, this is sustainable. That's my biggest thing with Julius. Like, I don't know what it is, but, like, I look at his game now and I'm just like, yeah, he's just going to do that every night for the rest of his career now. I just, I, I don't, I don't you know, know what to Because it's not, like, overly difficult shit. Like, he's not, like, scoring 50 points a night. He's just scoring 20, 25 to 30 points a night, bunch of assists, bunch of rebounds. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't see, unless he forgot how to shoot again. I can't see why this wouldn't be some kind of sustainable. This is a, a legitimate all NBA caliber player moving forward now, in my opinion, and it should be for everybody's opinion. Yeah. And, and I think funny thing, oh, real quick, 
if you guys go back to his hoop mixtape or I think his Ball's Life, and you look at his high school highlights, it's literally the same exact way that he's scoring right now. Like literally identical. Because I was shocked. I was like, oh, what did his hoop mixtape look like? Because usually you see like John Walls had a classic one. So I turned on Julius's. Dude, it was literally the three-point shot. That little step back from the side that he loved so much. Mm-hmm. The dunking, the dishing. It was it was just crazy. I was like, wow, he was always this player. He just really perfected it this year. So I'm more bullish on Julius than I've ever been. And like I said, <laughs> blank check. He's our Chris Webber. It's beautiful. But um, yeah, like I, oh, I think I lost my thought. Oh, no. I don't think that's ever happened to me on here. It's, it's okay. It's happened to me many times. I'm going to try to jog your memory real quick for the fo- for the folks. So Julius Randle, leading the team, the playmaking, the dishing, the all around stuff. Thank you so much. It's only up from here. I think. I think that you know, like this is his last year. He said it was his first year being the number one guy. This is his second year doing it. You know, first year under a new coach. I think that everybody, as his teammates, you know, we have a young core around him. As his teammates improve you know, and grow, he will continue to grow. I think that every once in a while, you know, like sometimes he can let the ball go a second earlier before the double team comes. I think that's something that gets better next year. I think that that six assists, maybe even become seven or eight assists. Like you never know. And the jumper, like, yeah, he's, I think that Julius Randle is just a 40% three point shooter. Now I don't think maybe not 42%, maybe not 40 on the dot, but I don't think it's going to fall below like 38. Like he just consistently mm-hmm. shoots while he improves every year and he works insanely hard. And he doesn't strike me. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy to be like, okay, well, you know, I had a great season, so I can relax now. Like, he's going to be doing the same things that he's always done. And I feel like he's going to be even hungrier to improve now. Like, yeah, I think that this is not only is this Julius, but yeah, at 26, like, he's just going to, we got a few more years of him being amazing. Like, just, and I don't think it's going to be tailing off. I think if anything, it's going to improve. So it's going to be very exciting. We really have an all NBA talent. Like, that's our guy. Uh, on his uh his work ethic you no know, with the shooting you know we, we've seen like the videos that get posted and stuff but like he really does spend an incredible amount of time shooting those threes because you know i've covered a number of games and before the games you'll see randall even last year i got phones in my video just it's just him lots of threes one after one after one that you know chucking him the ball he, and he's really working on it you know from deep not just right at the line. He's taking steps back, you know, doing a couple of step back moves. This is stuff he's always been trying to work on, you know, and for a bigger guy, maybe sometimes it's harder to fine tune it the right way and polish it the right way. I mean, he's, he's a big, strong guy and he's already pretty nimble and just, you know, look how much better he looks in, in the time off he had from the, you know, the cancel season last year, the longer off season to coming into this year. I mean, he looks, you know, way better and he looked good last year. That's the wild thing. He came into, in the, last season looking like in better shape than he did in new orleans and now he looks even better once again so it's like for these guys sometimes it's like just it really takes a lot of time to mold and, and get that part of their game right because yeah like I, I agree with sean like i don't think he's gonna shoot under like league average ever again like league average is like 36 37 from deep right so I, to me even if he's not 40 which again that that happens some seasons you're not gonna shoot the way that you would like to shoot. Sometimes it's a little bit lower. But I don't think it's going to get lower than like, yeah, like 38% or so. Uh, you know, remains to be seen, but I just can't, I don't know how you do this for 70 games and then suddenly it's not, it's not that moving forward to some degree. Especially when it's the same spots on the floor too, because it's his hot zones, man. He, he loves yeah, it. He's always been good at the top of the key. Always been. So 
it's just him. I feel like he finally became the player that everyone thought he was going to be. And, you know, he started shooting. Don't forget, he started adding the three-point shot to his NBA bag two years ago in New Orleans. So that's another thing to feel good about. I really don't think, like you guys said, I don't see his three-point percentage dipping below 37%. I really don't. You know what I think is the most hilarious part about Randall being good was when Zion was coming out of school and they were saying, like, oh, Zion's going to be, you know, Julius Randall with hops. And then everyone kind of, like, laughed a little bit. And then uh, even coming into this year, when I saw that tweet come back up, you know, people would say stuff like, yeah, but, you know, you know, Zion supposedly could do, you know, stuff with the ball a little bit better and, you know, move a little bit better, like things like that, that maybe Randall's a little bit more clunky. And then I was like, yeah, I guess you have a point after watching him last season. And then this season, it's like Randall's development plus they started trying to do a lot of point Zion in New Orleans. And I was like, it's just funny how like that in different ways that tweet got like made fun of or like, you know, dunked on like in, from Knicks fans, from, from NBA people, like in whichever way you took it or read it. And it's like, it's just funny how like both their careers are like kind of coming. And not that, you know, they're the same because mm-hmm. they're much different, but it's funny how like they both added the playmaking elements much more like quickly. And they were ready to compare it against players. I just, funny how things came full circle this year. You know, I feel like we got a lot of closure on things. Let's start calling Zion Julius Randle out a jump shot. Exactly. Yes. Let's, let's yes. start doing that. Yes, that's, that's the move, <laughs> my friend. Let's flip the script. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what else? All right. So what else do we got here? Um, you guys want to do mailbag? Should we do mailbag? Yeah, let's get some mailbag. Let's go for it. All right, let's do a little mailbag. So, uh, from at Return of MAGA. <laughs> All right, we'll just skate over the name. Just gonna skate over the name, buddy. Uh, I get, oh, give us an explanation at least. I just I'm curious now. Um, he uh, asked about the rebounding versus Capella. How do we guard the weapons on it? You know, all those weapons that Atlanta has, like trapping Trey, which, you know, we touched on Trey earlier, but if you guys want to touch on some of the other guys, like John Collins or whatnot, um, you know, any off str- offensive struggles we might have in the half court, like especially with RJ and uh, in the fourth quarter, can Randall be that closer? So, uh, John, I'll lob it up to you first. Take your pick. Um, I mean, well, we're going to have to rebound. That's one huge thing. We're going to have to box out. Capella's great on the boards, um, and he's going to get some of the boards even when you do box out. So we're definitely going to have to make sure that we are making a concerted effort because they're a team that likes so many perimeter shots and things like that. We can't get killed by the second chance points to get kicked out for threes. That would just, you know, that's demoralizing, especially after like really good defensive possessions. Um, also, I'm not really too worried about John Collins or like their other options. Um, I mean, yeah, those guys can play. John Collins is having a good season. You can't just let him go off. But like I said, the key to the offense is Trey Young. They go as Trey Young goes. And if you cut out the head, the snake will die. So I just feel like we scheme really well and we make life hell for Trey Young. He's not going to be able to get his teammates involved. He won't be able to get an offensive flow going. And the, you know, DeAndre Hunters and the John Collins and the Kevin Herders of the world don't really do much to you. Like, I'd, I'd love to see them try to beat me in a playoff series with John Collins. Good luck. Yeah, I second everything Sean just said. But I will also add the caveat of for the half-court offense, I think any worry beat is solved with removing Elf from the rotation. I think they'll just it'll be a lot more fluid, so I think that'll help. The rebounding front, I think Tibbs has to get a little more creative. Maybe have Reggie guard more on the perimeter, have RJ and Randall down low to help Noel, just because I feel like Noel hasn't gotten a lot of offensive boards, not because it's own fault, just because 
he's literally the only one down there. So that's probably the only part that they really have to address. And I'm sure Thibodeau would will because he has a full week. And yeah, like with, with Trey, I think, yeah, you just got to cut him off. I think if it gets to it, I would really play Frankie 30 minutes if he proves effective against Trey Young. It could be those games where if he sees Franks doing well or decent on offense, you just ride it out. And I think Thibodeau's hasn't done well with playing the hot hand, but down the stretch, hopefully he does. I agree uh, on Sean's note, though, about uh, the scheming. I think in the, the way I always look at the playoffs, this is the point I was trying to make the Eli and Slack earlier this week about the Bucks when he was like, oh, you can't just leave. If we were to have played them, he's like, oh, you can't just leave Brooke Lopez out there. And I'm like, I mean, you're right. You don't want to just leave him wide open, but he, like, if we're going to make someone on the Bucks beat us in a playoff series, like, I'd rather it be Brooke Lopez than I'd rather, you know, I don't want Drew or Giannis or, or Middleton going off, you know? Like, I would, I would much rather, like, oh, man, Brooke Lopez had 27 points, hit a bunch of threes. Oh, no. I mean, well, what are the chances he's going to keep doing it? You know what I mean? Like, same thing. That's the way I look at the Hawks. Like, these guys are capable, sure. Nobody's sleeping on them. But got to prioritize. So you got to leave certain guys open by design. And it's not excellent always. These are always capable shooters and players who are going to be able to score or whatever. While they're in the playoffs, these, these teams are all very good now, especially when you're dealing with, like, top six teams. But, um, yeah, I think if you take out Trey, if you trap Trey, you make his life miserable. And we've seen that happen sometimes with guards. Not saying it's going to happen with Trey, but, you know, it, it could if they do it the right way. And if that happens, then there's not going to be a lot of offense there. You know what I mean? These are the guys that are benefactors of Trey oftentimes. These are guys that are, you know, John Collins is always getting these lobs and these open shots because the, wherever Trey is, the gravity that he has. So if you figure out Trey, and it's a tough task, it's not some easy thing like, oh, just shut down Trey. It's a tough thing because, you know, he might pull up from 40 feet. That's the other issue. You know, it, you're not playing on traditional dimensions with a player like Trey. As much as, you know, we got to talk about the foul baiting and stuff that he could also you know really used to his favor we know that it's coming we've seen it because him and quickly have had these little foul off battles with each other too so we know that there's that but um yeah i just worry like he's gonna stretch the floor with the shooting like he might come down and shoot before the trap even gets there if he's on fire then all right and now we're in for it now we got to really buckle down but um you know that that's got to be the game plan all right however you figure it out however you got to try to blitz him when he comes across half court uh figure it out get the ball out of his hands quickly and if he gets it back later in a possession, make something happen. Okay. But I think that's got to be the plan. Um, moving right along in the mailbag here. I'll pull up the next question from our pal Dom. Okay. So uh, at 67 Tortugas, what's the offensive strategy? Uh, late game hold on mode. Uh, and ISO Randall doesn't look all that good all that often. I think this is probably regarding today's game. Um, Mike, I'll, I'll lob that one up to you. I mean, what do you, what do you make of what their late game and clutch situation offense is? It's still, it's still developing, which is it's a really, that's a very good question because I myself I don't know what the best attack is right now because. I think you do want to slow it down just because Trey is, if things start to go really fast, you don't want to get in a track meet with Trey Young. 
But also the half court offense has left a lot to be desired, especially late in games where he's right, where it's kind of just turned into Randall or bus like the Lakers game. They had a chance and Randall actually got a good look that time, but there was never really any doubt on where that ball was going. So I understand that question. I think I would still feed Randall for this series just because I think him against John Collins is too enticing of a matchup. So I think you just play into that. And RJ's going to have his troubles with Hunter. So I think you just go there or Rose. I think Rose should start getting some closing shots because he's he's shooting 50% from from the floor this season, and he's going to have Trey Young on him more times than not. So I would just really attack whoever Trey's guarding, especially late in the half court. Yeah, I definitely think we should be attacking Trey. That's why I also like, you know, when when we have those late lineups, whether it's a uh, Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, R.J. Randall, and a, like Noel, it's just like he's got to guard somebody out there. And I think that you've especially in a especially in a seven game series, you know, you just gotta attack that. Like you can't. I I'm not letting him hide the trait anywhere. I'm trying to get him switched on to R.J. and get R.J. in the post. All of that, like take advantage of it because he and this, that put him in position to be in foul trouble as well because you know the foul baiting is coming. Like, unfortunately, we know it's coming. Hopefully, the refs, you know, the playoffs are normally officiated differently, but the, we've been getting our ass kicked by the officials for a lot, for a large part of the year. And Trey has been getting whatever he wants from them. So that doesn't really bode well. But, you know, hopefully they allow us to play playoff basketball. They allow it to just be basketball. And, you know, because, but yeah, I, I, we need to attack Trey 100%. I, wherever he is on the floor, I want to be going at him almost every pos- possession. Trying to get in that pick and roll with him, uh, use him, try to get switched on to Randall, make them have to scramble a whole lot. You know, that's why I like a man. I would like to have IQ in the game because, like, you know, you, you've got to switch that because you can't go under it. Like, I, so, so we got to do things like that. Like, make to put them in position where he's got to, he's got to come outside defensively. You can't, you're not hiding him. He's coming outside. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, and on that note, our next question anyway was about, Trey getting that sort of superstar whistle. Um, best thing I could say is I want to get too caught up on refs killing us or whatever it is that we always, every look, every team feels like the refs hate their favorite team. Like that's, that's just how it works. And, and, and any given night you go down the timeline and somebody's complaining about the officiating about the calls their team never gets. It's just, it's the reality of being an NBA fan because the refs do stink. They stink across the board. They stink for everybody almost all the time. and in addition to them stinking, the rules are backwards and bizarre. They've made it impossible to play perimeter defense. If you breathe on a guy, as we've seen with like a Trey or even a Quickly, because we've gotten the benefit when he gets real minutes and can play comfortably, um, you know, it, those kinds of guys get to the line a lot. It's just, the rules stink. And uh, there was a rumor this week that they're going to look at, uh, you know, this, this offseason, trying to tweak that being a foul with the unnatural shooting motion. And they should, man, because look, it makes no sense that if you go inside the paint, you could be physical, use your forearms, whatever. But then if you go outside the paint and you're a guard, I can't even think about raising my arms near you because it's going to be a foul. It makes no sense. It just, it, it's basketball. This this should not be that difficult. You know what I mean? But in terms of uh, Trey getting the superstar whistle, yeah, you got to worry about it. It's just, it, it is what it is. He's really good at it. He's really good at it. Harden, even in the playoffs, was getting to the line a lot. When these guys are really good at it, it's you got to worry about it. It's an extra element of the game now. If they know how to manipulate to get to the free throw line, sadly, I hate it, but it's a skill. They know how to do it. 
They know how to do it. It generates points. It's gross when it's overused, it, especially when some of the motions are definitely not natural. I agree, but you got to just try to limit it and play good defense. That's the only thing I could really say. Just don't be handsy. Even like, I like using Frank, right? That was my plan. Use Frank, blitz him. Frank is extremely handsy. Extremely. Like, his, one of his big defensive flaws is that he's always sort of reaching and kind of getting in trouble, uh, especially on drives with players. So it's like, you know, we're really going to have to watch for that. They, these guys got to really not use their hands, like really play good defense, keep their hands up and away from Trey. And like, really, like when he goes to shoot, like you got to almost fall backwards away from him because you don't want to, the last thing you need too, he's got the touch that a lot of these can be three-point plays. Like there's a lot of ways that this guy can kill you. Inside the paint, outside the paint, he's got the floater. Like it, it could really be a long night for them if they're not getting the calls. So the best thing is, is to just try to mitigate that. Like anticipate when he's going to do it. You know, at some point on the drive, he's going to try to do a little herky jerk. Take a step back. Like, try to pull the chair out from under him type thing. Like, let him be a little bit more open than he might be used to there. I don't know. Switch it up. It's tough. It's a tough thing to do. Guarding a guy like that. I don't know. I think that might be the biggest storyline, at least in game one, is how the refs treat Trey. Because don't forget, this is his first playoff game, too. So, he's not used to how the game's called. So, I'm interested to see if they keep that same level of protection for him. You know? So, if they if it gets... Physical, I want to see if he checks out. Yeah, I I def I hope they allow us to be at least somewhat physical with him. Um and because that's the thing, like not only does it get him to the line, but in a playoff game, especially every minute counts. It's like if I, if everybody on the floor is in foul trouble because Trey Young is running around and falling down, that's gonna be really, really annoying. So I mean, I just really hope but yeah, we've never seen him in in, a, in the playoffs. Uh so hopefully it's just, I, I just want, I don't want the games to be decided at the free throw line. I don't want the games to be decided by the refs. Like I want them to have to come outside and play basketball for 48 minutes. And if they have to come outside and play basketball for 48 minutes, I think we're going to bust their ass. I think I'm thinking five games, six tops. Okay. So on that note, last, so on that note, the last thing on the Hawks uh, series here is what do you think that this is from at Scott J Katz? What do you think the biggest key for us to win is if it does end up being us versus the Hawks uh, in round one, which it now is? Um, aside from the number six dilemma, which we always have to note because it, it is objectively the, the number one biggest issue slash key if we were to, you know, amend that situation properly for the probably 10,000th time in this podcast this season. But um, for me, the biggest key is actually RJ and not just like, oh, RJ's got to play well. RJ's got to play consistent for 48 minutes of basketball. I love RJ. I'm the biggest RJ fan. I'm wearing an RJ Bear jersey right now. I've been touting him since I, who knows how long we've done these victory laps for at this point. Um, we can't have seven games of just second half RJ Barrett is my thing. Like he's got to, he's got to put together a couple of full games. Like I'm not saying he, he's allowed to adjust. It's his first playoffs too. I'm not trying to say like, you know, you know, he's got he's to gotta be great every single game or else, you know, it, it, you know he's, a, he's a bust. He looks bad, whatever, whatever. But, you know, it, it's just the, the rational expectation is, you know, a lot of the heat's going to be on Randall, right? Whatever the Hawks, they're not a great defensive team, but whatever they're trying to do on him, he's going to be the main focus. So is RJ going to be making them pay enough? You know, I, if the three's working, I, then we're, we're probably have nothing to worry about. But the, even to, to close the season out, there was a bunch of slow first halves from him still, which... 
it's not a cause for concern as a whole because normally at the end of the game he has a nice line and, and he puts it all together and things are generally okay but in the playoffs again things are a little bit different and you have less room for those kinds of errors you have less rooms for those slow starts and if you have those slow starts they might you know approach you defensively a different way um so for me if rj's just gonna have more consistent production in his minutes a little bit earlier in the game and if, if we get that i feel like that's the biggest key yeah, because if you look at his and win loss splits, he's a completely different player when they're losing. He's averaging fifteen point nine compared to eighteen point seven when they win, and his shooting numbers across the board. He just when he's off, the team suffers. I mean, in wins, he's shooting forty four percent from three. So, he, Julius needs that second fiddle, and if he struggles one game, I think they could get by with it. But if this becomes a problem in round one, then the next might be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I think we're just we're a very tough team to beat when RJ Barrett is playing well, um, and because you're gonna get what you're gonna get from Randall, and when RJ's playing well, it means you have both of them going open at the floor for everyone else, and it's just like an energy kind of behind RJ playing well, like as fans as a team. Um, I love today seeing him get out and transition and like be able to get those post touches and finish things like that. So hopefully, we give him those kind of opportunities to, because I feel like those things help him to get it to get going like you know if you're only like i, I want to be able to see him do that like if he can get out in transition and get some better shot attempts you know rather than having to attack the defense and hope he gets a call and miss a couple shots at the rim now he's out of rhythm like now nah, put him in easy situations early in the game and that way you know you set him up moving forward because yeah we do need 48 good minutes of basketball from rj like can't have just second halves like this is the playoffs every single quarter is a game like we keep saying every every minute counts so we need it yeah, that that probably that's gonna be our main thing. Like I like that RJ RJ showing up is gonna be the biggest difference because, like I said, RJ's played well against the Hawks so far, and I think that if they already don't have an answer for Randall, so if they have issues with Randall and RJ between Rose Burks, quick, you're bound to get you know somebody like that's the other cool thing about it. like our bench and what whoever's the, I don't even know if it's gonna be our bench. I hope it's not. Rose, quick, and Burks should not all be on the bench. One of them should be starting, but. Either way, with those guys, you're going to get production out of at least one of them. Like, one of them is going to be on tonight. One of them is going to get it going. Like, you're, they're, when you have all three of them, it's very rare that all three of them don't show up. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's that's pretty much it for me uh, on, like, uh, the Hawks note, you know? I, I, think, I think RJ, yeah, he has played well this season against them, thankfully. That's what I'm saying, like, they don't scare me in that sense because, like, Randall played, like, so, so well against them. And RJ played well enough where I'm like, yeah, I mean, we could obviously lose. I don't want to ever make it sound like anything's easy. But, you know, for us to really, like, the, the key for it to be, like, a clear, like, Knicks winning six pretty convincingly, like, RJ's got to be on. If RJ's on, if he's playing well. And I agree with you, too, Sean, about the energy. Because, like, Randall sort of has this, like quiet like, quiet sort of, like, confidence. But it's mostly just like in himself where he's just like, all right, I'm pulling up because I'm feeling it. That's it. And he sort of just like looks and stares you down. The only time you saw him get like outwardly confident and emotional was when he was playing the Lakers. And, you know, for good reason. This is old team playing in L.A. And uh, he was on fire, too. It was a nice little battle between him and uh, A.D. But um, RJ's different with the way he gets fired up because like he, he looks very intently after he scores. Like he, he, he always likes to look around and like, it's almost like it's almost like a fuck you thing. Like he scores and he's like, every time it's almost like like why like 
he, he cuts through the paint, you know, two guys hit him, he bangs around, makes the lamp, and he's like, like, like these fucking idiots, like, you know, that, that's like the vibe that you get, and it's like, when you watch that, especially as us, as like New Yorkers, you're like, yeah, I like that, yeah, yeah, fuck those guys, like, what, what are they, what are these idiots doing, like, that's like, a, and especially when it's your own guy that you drafted too, it makes it even better, so like, you already believe in him because you drafted him, and then like, he gives you the right energy when he's on like that, so, yeah, I mean, if he, if he's doing that, I mean, they're, they're going to be. They're going to the second round. It's not just that they're going to be tough to beat. They're going to the second round if he's if he's playing a full game like that. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it because he keeps elevating himself, season you know season to season or game to game or month to month. Uh, I, I got to see what he's going to give me in the playoffs now. I, I I hope it's you know what we think it'll be. Um, I think that's actually it for our mailbag questions, but um. You guys got any other uh, pressing topics on your mind before we get out of here? Just bench off. That's that's my only topic. Please. <laughs> We're asking nicely, man. I'm trying to win some feel... playoff games here. Yeah, man. I'm trying to, but like like I said, this is rare territory. This is officially the longest we've actually had to pay attention to a basketball season in eight years. So. It's a good feeling. It's it feels weird to say playoff basketball is coming up, but on Saturday we will watch a Knicks playoff game at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so My emotions. <laughs> yeah, I I still can't believe it, man. Uh, home court at MSG just sounds like it's, it's a nice bow to, to cap a, a really fun regular season. Like if we, if we got a six, like I, again, I would have been excited, but. Four and knowing the first game is going to be at MSG is like game one in the garden. Just going to sleep happy type of thing. So uh, on that note, though, this is the first time in the Knicks wall history that we've ever made the playoffs. So uh, thank you. know, Big, big thank you to everybody who's followed us for the five poverty seasons leading up to this. Uh, appreciate it. Um, we got a lot of stuff in store for you coming up. So, you know, definitely make sure you're following us on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, Post Game Prosperity and everything with Sean. Uh, always a blast over there. Always a good time after the games, all the W's upcoming in the playoffs. So it's going to be a madhouse over there. So make sure you're subscribed and locking in there. Uh, on top of that, we're uh, just going to announce it now. So we're having our playoff sale for uh, our, our uh, merchandise. So go to designtree.com slash the Knicks wall and you can pick up, I mean, we have some lovely things that we've been putting out lately across the board. We have a couple more designs we're getting up tonight uh, for the sale, but uh, check it out. Um, you know, order some stuff. It should get there in time for the playoffs. Uh, ideally, if you guys are going to order the next couple days. But um, you know, I have more details on Twitter, so make sure you're following us there, of course. But um, that's pretty much it. Keep reading the nickswall.com. Keep going. You know, best articles, best breakdowns, best features, and uh, make sure you guys are giving this podcast a five star rating and review because. Uh, we're in a good mood. We've, we've been positive. We've been saying some nice things about your favorite basketball team, and maybe you could say some nice things about your favorite podcast. So give us a nice review and a nice five-star rating. It helps us keep doing what we do here, and we like doing this for you guys. So on that note, Mike Shaw, you got anything else? Um, Once again, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Read the articles. Um, It's been a blast. Post-game prosperity was crazy for the regular season, so I imagine what the energy is going to be for the playoffs. No, don't imagine. Show up and be a part of the energy. Yeah, also, and this... Why... <laughs> no, go ahead. 
No, and also, we got a ton of playoff articles coming this way on the writing side. So be on the lookout. Myself, Quentin Haynes, a couple others will be dropping some playoff stuff. Get ready for the first game on Saturday. So make sure you're at the Knickswall.com. Check all those out. I got one fun bonus game for you guys before we get out of here. It's called uh, Guess the Price of the Knicks Playoff Tickets Right Now. All right, what section? Uh, this is section 214, row 13. I'm looking at. T- take a wild guess. 550. Sean, what about you? I was going to say like 415. 415, yeah. So how does 923 sound? <laughs> what? Oh. Yo, now who who's really going to pay? First of all, if anyone's been to MSG, once you get to the 200 levels, it's already like, I should already been watching this game at the bar or at home. Just because the chase bridge so, is there and the vibe's a little off. The, the, next, the next ticket, uh, section 223, row 22, nine rows back further, uh, is 949. And then section 223, uh, row 21, is 1,001 American dollars. Uh, and my favorite part, if you can see on the screen, is they have a little rating next to them, and all three say 10, 10.0, 9.6, 9.6. Amazing deal. <laughs> That's wow. sad. I knew that would happen, but my God. Oh, I, yeah, so I'm definitely not going to a playoff game in the Garden. That's unfortunate. Maybe we could, like, group share a ticket, you know? <laughs> each rotating and out. Yeah, like, just like a, a quarter each, like that guy at uh, the Mets games getting banned for. <laughs> no. Passing the That's tickets really back. Ridiculous. We gotta Come wear on, a really I... long trench coat. Vince the adult man. I hope the season ticket holders who showed up this whole time at least got like first dibs and got a decent deal because that's like to my all jokes aside, that's ridiculous. To, to my understanding, they did the season ticket holders did, but I, I just okay. don't. I just don't get how you can, in good faith, in good faith, charge nine hundred dollars. Uh, I didn't pay that much for the Yankee playoff tickets, bro. I mean, and like, I, that's like I pay top dollar for some good tickets sometimes, and you just you look at that, and my living room is just fine, bro. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'll be I'll be okay here. I, I can't. No, nobody's spending a mortgage payment for one game. That's wild. But um, yeah, that, yeah, that was my last game for you. Thankfully, I got that information right in time. That was that was a very fun game. I'm glad we played that at the end. All right, but uh, on that note. Let's go next. Uh, we should. Last thing I'm going to say is we're going to try to get some sort of Atlanta Hawks uh, coverage in here. I'd like to get a, a non-Knicks take on the Hawks because mine are always going to be bullish. So uh, we'll, we'll try to get somebody on here for you guys so we could have a good conversation back and forth, try to preview the series for, you guys, uh, for you know, upcoming here. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take it easy. Adios. Peace.